When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. the tunnel on this Wednesday afternoon. Ohio State running back Travion Henderson will need surgery on his left foot. He will not play in the upcoming college football playoff. He is the Buckeyes second leading rusher 571 yards and six touchdowns. He has missed three of the past four games because of that injury. And more we've seen this more where this came from Clemson defensive end Miles Murphy Mel Kuyper's number 10 overall player in the draft says he's skipping the Orange Bowl. He will declare for the NFL draft. He is Kuyper's top ranked defensive end. And after what seems like many many moons it's Big Ten or bust. The UC Regents are meeting today to decide what's next for UCLA. Happy to have you with us. Wendy Nix, Tom Luganbill, Roddy Jones, and Aaron Murray for this hour-long edition of College Football Live. We continue, however, to remember and honor the legacy of Mike Leach, who passed away suddenly on Monday. For those of you who weren't here, there was an hour-long tribute yesterday, but Luke's, uh, you weren't with us, so I want each of you, if you can, to have a minute to reflect and remember Coach Mike Leach. Well, Wendy, I tell you, I think the interactions that I had with him, what made him so fascinating to me and such an intriguing human being to interact with was all of his different interests. So often in the coaching profession, you get consumed with winning, consumed with the pressure to win, and your entire life becomes about recruiting or X's and O's or sleeping in overnight in the building. And I, I honestly think he's one of those guys that if the AD walked into his office and said, hey, listen, coach, we're going to let you go. He'd be like, all right, I'm going to go fishing this afternoon then. And he would be perfectly happy. He'd find something else to do. And I think the other thing about it is outside of, let's just say, the veer, the wishbone, maybe the, the triple option of the, at the height of the 70s and 80s, no other offensive system has infiltrated and influenced offensive football in today's era more than the air raid offense. And he deserves a lot of credit for that. Yeah, for me, I remember my, my first season as a broadcaster, and I, I'm all prepared. I have Washington State. This is back before he went to Mississippi State. And I have all my questions about the offense, about their opponent. Wanted to really dive in to make sure I knew what I was going to do in the booth. And we're talking to him, and he's, he's, it's a Wednesday afternoon, and he's at the coffee shop. And he's ordering a coffee. So I asked him a question like, hey, coach, what's the plan for this week's game? He's like, hold, hold up for a second. Let me order my coffee. Orders his coffee. What's your questionnaire? And asked him again. And then he goes to then start talking to some people in the coffee shop. And this happened for probably about 30 minutes where he didn't want to talk about football. He wanted to talk anything but football. So I learned really fast that if I wanted to get anything out of Mike Leach, it had to do with pirates or movies. Uh, that's just the type of person that he was. And like Tom said, like it, football was he loved football. He loved mentoring those young men on the football field, off the football field. But if you would have taken football away from him, he would have lived a great life. He lived a great life there, uh, down there at the beaches for a little bit as well. So uh, he will be missed, and his offense will be obviously forever remembered and has is, it's sprinkled throughout college football still. 
It, it sure will be, Aaron. And, and unfortunately, I never had the opportunity to have those personal or personal interactions. But having covered so many branches of his tree, whether it be Sonny Dykes, Cliff Kingsbury, Neil Brown, Dana Holgerson, Robert and I, having covered so many of those, uh, the, the conversations always circled around the influences of Mike Leach. Just recently, a couple months ago, I had a conversation with Sonny Dykes before their game against West Virginia, Neil Brown on the other side. And we talked about those early years at Texas Tech and all of the minds that went on to do great things uh, that were on Mike Leach's staff, whether it be Lincoln Riley as a GA or, or, or some of the guys that I mentioned, like Cliff Kingsbury, like a Neil Brown, Dana Holgerson, um, like a Dave Aranda. You know, the, just his impact and his influence is going to continue to be felt for years to come, the high school, the college, and the pro level. It's really been such a fascinating juxtaposition, guys, because someone who did have so many other interests, who was willing to engage and learn and travel, was also passionate about the game and left coaches uh, and left a coaching tree that goes on and on and on. And also, of course, his impact on the game, the X's and O's on the field. Uh, there was a touching tribute at Mississippi State, which you can imagine will continue. A pirate flag was flown on the field at half-mast. Of course, he was often called the pirate. Uh, there were plenty of other impromptu memorials and tributes in honor of Leach, who of course passed suddenly and one of his former quarterbacks also emotional recalling his time with coach Leach and he's like man you know all this mustache stuff it almost didn't happen you know it's a close competition and I think he likes saying that you know just to be a little dramatic but like you know he's he said but there was something there's a twinkle in this kid's eye and he always made me believe that and feel that I was special and that I could succeed. And man, like that means so much to me and I'll always be grateful for him for that. There has been that kind of emotion across the board as we welcome college football insider Pete Thamel, who's got a fantastic article out right now on .com about Mike Leach. And, and Pete, I know you had so many interactions with Coach. Uh, can you give us an anecdote or a favorite memory? Sure, Wendy. I really think when you look at uh, the, the breadth of Mike Leach, I, I knew him for about 20 years. I really think of all the times I called him for a quote about, you know, how a quarterback would translate to the NFL, and we'd end up talking about all sorts of things that had nothing to do with it. And we'd be on the phone for an hour, sometimes two hours, and I, I'd end up with, with, with nothing for my article. But, but he would always ask me, because I live in South Boston, about the, the famous gangster Whitey Bulger, who, who operated here for years. He was number one on the FBI Most <laughs> Wanted list. Mike Leach had read books about Whitey Bulger. He wanted to know when Whitey, Whitey Bulger got arrested, how people in South Boston reacted, what the trial was like when Whitey got tried in 2013. And he just had this insatiable curiosity for life that is uncommon in the profession. And he, uh, he was a magnet for a little bit of the bizarre and the, and the oddball. And, and I always uh, – I saw him at SEC Media Days. First thing he said to me this year, uh, this summer when I saw him, was, was asking me about Southie and how people there were, uh, were, were remembering Whitey. Unbelievable. Listen, his coaching tree I mentioned earlier, quite extensive and expanded again this week. Tell us a little more about Eric Morris's hire at North Texas. Yeah, so North Texas, uh, which is headed to the AAC next season, Wendy, went out and got Eric Morris, the offensive coordinator from Washington State. He's a former leech wide receiver. He was known as the Elf as an undersized receiver at Texas Tech. He had been the head coach at Incarnate Word in Texas, an FCS school in San Antonio. Went 10-3 and there two years ago. Left that head coaching job to go to Washington State. 
takes the jump back to Texas. Uh, Jared Mosley, the new athletic director at North Texas, really excited about Morris and what he brings, head coaching experience, quarterback pedigree, and obviously he'll run that air raid. Yep, that, that, that's one. That's a given. Pete, thank you. If you haven't had a chance to read that article up now on ESPN.com, uh, it's great. Uh, still to come on College Football Live, Georgia has its sights set on a second straight national championship. But guess who stands in the way? We'll talk about the Buckeyes' big challenge. And there's little doubt Scott Satterfield would be happy to be in that very same spot. The new Cincinnati head coach joins us to talk about what's next for the Bearcats. A lot of people question our toughness going into the offseason. They have something to prove. We all have something to prove. There's a lot of people who want to see you lose. If you break me, I will play. The expectation is to win them all. I just wanna make it start. Having that villain mentality is fun. Stroud, right down the middle, touchdown Ohio State. Looking, pulls the trigger, left sideline toward the end zone, and it's caught for six. I don't have to prove anybody wrong. I just want to prove myself right. You got every strength of the butt guys that came before you by your back. Today is going to be tough. Today we're going against the great opponent. We're going to find a way to win this game. It's a trifecta of touchdowns for Harrison. Stroud throwing in the end zone for Cam Bam. He's got it. His first career touchdown. First down to 10 of the 19. And intercepted. Wow. JT Tuimolo has had the game of his life. This is why you came here. This is why you came to Ohio State. Stroud throws it forward and it's intercepted. Complete domination for the Wolverines. If USC loses, Ohio State is in a prime position to sneak into this thing. There's no better way to get redemption and playing Georgia in Atlanta. It's almost like a second lease on life. What a long, strange trip it's been. A bit of history, if you will, regarding Ohio State and the playoff. They made the playoff four times. In the inaugural event, led by third-string quarterback Cardale Jones and Zeke Elliott, the Buckeyes knocked off Alabama in the semifinal before beating Heisman winner Marcus Mariota in the national championship. 2016, lost to Clemson in the semifinal. They met the Tigers in the Fiesta Bowl and were shut out 31-0 by Deshaun Watson. That Clemson team would go on to win the national title against aforementioned Alabama. In 2019, three years later, Ryan Day's first full season, the Buckeyes got back to the playoff to face Clemson again in the Fiesta Bowl. Justin Fields had a chance to put the Buckeyes ahead with a minute left, but was picked off in the end zone by Nolan Turner. And in the 2020 season, the Buckeyes avenged Clemson, this time in the Sugar Bowl. Fields threw for 385 yards and six touchdowns. However, in the national title game, Ohio State had no answer for Alabama and Heisman winner Devontae Smith as the Tide completed their undefeated season. All right, Aaron Murray, let's talk Peach Bowl. And we'll start with the expectations for this Ohio State offense that's been prolific from the get-go. But what now? Well, I know there's a temptation to throw the football. You got T.J. Stroud, you got Marvin Harrison Jr., and you've seen Georgia at times, whether it was last year versus Alabama in the SC Championship game, or even last week versus LSU, struggle against the pass. But I still don't think you want to play that game of being one-dimensional. Can you run the football? 
because if you can't, if you get in these second and third long situations where you're behind the chains, Georgia's going to play just two high safeties. They're going to put Chris Smith over the top. They're going to keep Starks over the top. They got to find a way to get to man to man coverage. They got to find a way to get Marvin Harrison Jr. one on one with Keely Ringo on the backside and then let CJ Shroud take some shots down the field. And I think you got to take some shots. I think at the end of the day, when you get between the 40s, don't be afraid to throw the ball down the field. Don't be afraid to take a shot at the end zone because just like any elite defense, it's hard to score in the red zone. You're going to have to score most of the time, like I said, between those 40s and around the 30. Yeah, Aaron, I, you, you mentioned some of the biggest challenges that they're going to have, and I think running the football is going to be one of the major ones. Georgia hasn't allowed over 103 yards rushing to a team since week one, so that is going to be a challenge. But if they do find a way to get inside the 20s, Georgia's also the best red zone defense in the entire country. So you're going to have to find those one-on-one -on -one matchups that you were talking about with either Marvin Harrison or if they want to shade to Marvin Harrison and take him out of the game. Emeka Ibuka has kind of gone under the radar because of what Harrison has done. This is a guy in Ibuka who has over 1,000 yards this season as well. So the ability to run the ball, like you said, but find playmakers in the red zone and score in the red zone it's going to be a massive challenge for Ohio State. You know what, Roddy? I, I know he was in New York. I know he won a national championship. I'm still not sure we give Stetson Bennett uh, any real respect. So having said that, and he may not be your answer, uh, what's the biggest challenge for this Ohio State defense? Uh, part of it is Stetson Bennett, but, but it's really the ability to prevent Stetson Bennett and this Georgia offense from creating big plays. Ohio State's defense is, has, has sort of been overlooked because of the offense and how much improved they've been this year. Now, the offenses in the Big Ten this year weren't, weren't great, and the offenses on that schedule weren't great. The two best offenses that they faced, Penn State and Michigan, both had a lot of success, and Michigan had the most success creating big plays down the field. And because of what Georgia can do to you from a personnel standpoint with Darnell Washington, Brock Bowers, and those excellent, that excellent stable of running backs, you're going to have to figure out how not to, to give up those big plays, especially to Brock Bowers, because he is an absolute nightmare when it comes to matching up. Yeah, when I look at Georgia's offense right now, the, the one thing that Todd Munkin does so well, maybe better than anyone else in the country, is finding ways to get his, his best players matched up. And it's not your traditional way. It's not what Ohio State does on their side, using receivers and taking the top off of defense. It's flexing Bowers off, like you talked about, Rodney. It's moving Darnell and getting him one-on-one -on -one with a safety or linebacker. It's getting Kenny out of the backfield. When I look at Georgia, these past two years, their most successful games on offense were really like last year when James Cook got involved out of the, out of the backfield, when Kenny got involved out of the backfield. So those non-traditional skill players against you know defensive players that aren't really great covering in space is what Ohio State is going to have to prevent. And like I talk about with them being able to run the ball on offense, I also think you got to make Georgia a little bit one-dimensional as well. Georgia struggled at times this year running the football. If you could put Stetson in the third and long situations, make him win the game. We go back to not trusting Stetson once again, but make him go out there and win the game with his arm. Well, guys, this will be uh, – Georgia will be the sixth team in the playoff era to make the playoff the year 
after winning the national title. In the previous five times, the teams were unable to defend it, four of the five specifically losing in the national title game. Alabama is the last team to do it. They won back-to-back -back national titles in 2011 and 2012. Roddy, look, you know, don't you dare tell me they need to score more points when I ask you what Georgia needs to do to repeat as national champions. <laughs> Honestly, I was thinking about saying that. That's exactly what I had queued up. Uh, but, but to be honest, know Wendy, you. you know, I, I just think they, I just think they can't get ahead of themselves. They've got a, they, they are the most talented team in this college football playoff, and, and they're a much more complete team than 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 Ohio State is. The big matchup to me is going to be against Michigan. But as long as that offensive line, who's up for the James Moore Award, as long as they play well, and, and I, then I think they're going to be able to win the football game. They've got enough on the outside to be able to create the matchups like we talked about. Uh, Stetson Bennett, at some point, we're going to stop doubting this dude. He's playing with mm -hmm. incredible confidence. So I, I think I think the offensive line just needs to play well, and they can't get ahead of themselves, no matter how the game goes. Yeah, and I don't want to get too ahead of myself either, but I do think if Georgia wins this game versus Ohio State because of the uniqueness of their offense, I think does match up well against what Georgia does on defense and their skill on that side. If they do get through Ohio State, I think there's a big confidence that, hey, we already beat Michigan. We kind of showed the nation that, hey, we're the bigger, better version of what Michigan wants to do on the football field. I think they would also take care of business for versus TCU. So a lot of focus is on this game, obviously, versus Ohio State. Win it and a lot of confidence that you're going to be back-to-back -back champions. The one thing that could get in the way is just silly mistakes. And we've seen that beat Georgia in the past, uh, in years past, throwing interceptions, fumbles, offsides. Just don't hurt yourself. The last thing you want to do when you're the favorite in any football game is give your opponent good field position or any sort of momentum. So as long as Stetson takes care of it, the running backs take care of the football, and really they limit those explosive plays on defense, I think Georgia takes care of business in, in versus Ohio State in that first game. And like I said, I think they take care of business, whether it's TCU or Michigan, in that national championship. I will say, Aaron, it's an interesting field that Georgia is in with this season because Ohio State's got a new lease on life after getting into the college football playoff. So they have nothing to lose. They're going to throw everything out there. And this Michigan team on the other side, uh, or TCU, but Michigan in particular, has geared their entire season towards beating Georgia. The switch to J.J. McCarthy, going out and getting some guys in the portal, and then TCU's just had a magical season. But I think Michigan comes out of that side. It's an interesting field that's going to try and take on the dogs. Yeah, we talk about not trusting Stetson Bennett. I still have not found a way to trust J.J. McCarthy this season. I know he played really well <laughs> versus Ohio fair, fair. State. That's fair. I mean, the, receivers, the receivers are wide open, though. I think in my old age, I could go out there and complete some of the passes he completed against that secondary. But I don't <laughs> think I'm just yet sold that, hey, Michigan and J.J. McCarthy are going to win that first game versus TCU and then turn around and be multiple enough on offense, especially without quorum, in order to beat Georgia in that defense. Well, speaking of Georgia, if they do win the national championship, their 29 wins in a two-season span would be the most in the history of college football. Still to come on College Football Live. You know what? If it's bowl season, it's got to be almost draft season. Todd McShay has revealed his first month draft of the year and has some of us up in arms. We'll explain coming up.
Well, here's how Ty McShay's mock draft 1.0 works. ESPN Analytics used to project the final draft order and all projections account for traded first round picks. And remember, there are only 31 picks because the Dolphins had to forfeit theirs. That's due to tampering violations. Everybody always wants to talk about the quarterbacks, especially in 1.0. So here you go. Take a look at the quarterbacks in Todd McShay's mock draft. It starts with Bryce Young, number one to the Texans. Young won the Heisman in 2021 and became the first player in Alabama history to pass for 3,000 yards in multiple seasons. C.J. Stroud to the Lions at four. Stroud, a Heisman finalist this year, became the first Big Ten quarterback, 30 passing touchdowns in back-to-back -back seasons. And then there's Will Levis. Todd has him going to the Falcons at number six, known for his combination of big arm and mobility, 11 rushing touchdowns at Kentucky to go along with his 43 passing. And finally, Anthony Richardson to the Panthers, says Todd, at number 11. Richardson averaged 8.3 yards on rushes and scrambles last season. That was best in the FBS. All right. Simmer down, Lugs. This is mock draft 1.0, okay? And if you don't know how that works, that's where we start, not necessarily where we finish. But I do want to hear your take that's the first on one? these four quarterbacks who I know you've scouted. This is the first one. Yeah. Go ahead. Okay. Listen, could not agree more on, on Bryce Young. Now, his slight frame is going to be scrutinized. It's going to be hotly debated. What will not be hotly debated is the anticipatory throws his ability to extend plays, his ability to, to work through progressions and process information in a lightning quick manner, and then all of the uh, intangible traits, mental toughness, competitive temperament, athleticism, all of these different things he's got, and I think he's got a ton of it. The size is concerning. I get that. Okay, so now let's move to the guys that have the height, have the weight, have the overall speed, have the rocket arm. Neither Anthony Richardson or Will Levis has been even remotely close from a production standpoint to what Bryce Young has been. And I think that's what concerns me the most. Will Levis has thrown 23 interceptions in two years. I know he's been banged up. I know it hasn't been ideal for him, but he's made poor decisions with the football. He's been careless with the football that results in turnovers, as I referenced. Now, Anthony Richardson's the one that gets everybody's ego involved, right? Because you just see this guy oozing with athletic traits and a strong arm and athleticism. He completed 53% of his passes. And to me, that's very, very concerning. He hasn't had a consistent level of production that even comes close to matching his talent level. So I think both players are developmental players and need to find the right landing spot and maybe not have a bunch thrown at him early. Yeah, if I'm Houston, I may actually just, you know, find a way to take next season so I get the first pick in the draft next season. I, I don't honestly like any quarterback in this draft <laughs> if I'm if I'm being forced to pick them inside the top ten. Like, you know, I know McShay has Bryce listed at six foot. He's he's not six foot. He's probably five ten uh, at no. best, 180 pounds soaking wet. So I do think that is a major problem when you're talking about the physicality at the next level. You talk about traits. I love his traits. I think his traits are great. But I, the long-term durability of a guy that size, and, and I know Kyler's a little bit on the shorter side too, but Kyler Murray's thicker. So I, I do worry about that. I completely agree with you about Will Levis. The, the, the ball security issues is a big problem for me. That's, that's QB 101. Take care of the football. Don't put it in danger. He's been horrendous giving the ball up to the opposing team. 
I kind of like CJ. If I had to pick one, I would lean towards CJ Stroud. I know he's not super dynamic running the football and extending plays, but has a great arm, throws with a great anticipation. Uh, I like his game like that. And then, Luke, you and I are, are scratching our heads about Anthony Richardson as well. I just, <laughs> to me, he needs to play football. He needs to play football. He needs one, or, I, I think, one, if not two more seasons down in Gainesville improving his game to get ready. He's not going to become a better quarterback sitting on an NFL roster for two or three seasons. He's doing himself a disservice, and I don't think he's a first-round pick. So I'm honestly very interested to see how this whole thing unfolds. We saw last year it kind of those guys fall back a little bit with Kenny Pickett, and then everyone moved to the second and third round. I would not be surprised if you see the same thing this year just because I do not love, and I'm not going to pay that these quarterbacks that amount of money to be my franchise quarterback. Aaron, I think you made a great point on Anthony Richardson needing to play football. This is a guy who has thrown 391 career passes in college. He has started for one season, and Luke's mentioned the 53% passing. Uh, there's so much growth that needs to happen that it's amazing to me that this is where the hype train is starting. Because as we all know, when it comes short season and throwing it around, he is going to, that hype train is going to continue to push forward because he's going to blow out the combine. He's going to blow out his pro day. So if this is where the NFL scouts have the hype train starting, I can only imagine where it's going to go. And Aaron, I, I kind of agree with you too. I, I would go with CJ Stroud. I think he's the safest. The only issue though, Luke, is the fact that, that his receiving core at Ohio State is probably better than the one he's going to play with comparatively in the NFL. Uh, yeah. so, so how does he translate without guys that are as good? Yeah, I think you guys are both correct when it comes to C.J. Stroud and the consistency of performance. And, you know, we always try to avoid getting enamored with physical attributes, and it's hard to do. It's hard to do with high school kids uh, coming out of college. And then when you really start to peel back the layers, you start to realize, particularly with the quarterback position, it's about two things, accuracy and decision-making. And mm -hmm. decision-making has a direct correlation to taking care of the football, and so does accuracy. And... I think there's a lot of work to be done with Will Levis and, and, and Anthony Richardson in that regard. And listen, you're so correct, Aaron, about uh, Bryce Young. He's listed at six foot. Um, I, <laughs> I don't think he's six foot. He's maybe, to your point, 180, 185 pounds with rocks in his pockets. But boy, does he play good. And I, I think that that's the <laughs> one thing when you start to really tear down the tape, that's going to give him an edge over everybody else. Yeah. You know, one added element, guys, you talk about uh, kids like Anthony Richardson, you used to understand the money issue. You know, there was so much, there was that carrot dangling. But yeah. now with NIL, <laughs> that's mitigated to a certain degree. So you wonder what kind of advice they're getting when you're, to your point, Aaron, he needs to play the game of football. Uh, the draft, by the way, April 27th in Kansas City. You can see Todd McShay there. We'll see how his draft pans out. And it won't be 1.0. Lugs will be well down the line at that point. <laughs> Still to come on College Football Live, Mike Leach, of course, <laughs> widely regarded as the father of the air raid offense. We'll take a closer look at what that innovation has meant and the impact it's had on the game of college football. This Heisman update is brought to you by... Nissan, premier partner of the Heisman Trophy. 
Here's a look at your Heisman update brought to you by Nissan with Caleb Williams winning this year's Heisman Award. Lincoln Riley is now one of five coaches to have three Heisman winners. He's also had Kyler Murray and Baker Mayfield. Nick Saban and Frank Leahy have the most with four. And speaking of airing it out, let's take a look back now at how the air raid offense came to be. Leach coached the air raid with Hal Mummy at Kentucky before making head coaching stops at Texas Tech, Washington State, and then he became the big dog at Mississippi State in the mighty SEC. But the air raid began way back in 1989 in Mount Pleasant, Iowa. Population, oh, about 9,000 at Iowa Wesleyan. That's where he and Mummy created the blueprint for an offense that would revolutionize football from the peewees to the pros forever. The media kept asking us over and over and over, what's your offense called? What's your offense called? Well, it's called offense, you know? We want, we want the offensive guys out there, we say offense, you know? There was a guy named Bob Lamb who came in one day and somehow at a swap meet or in the back of somebody's barn or something, he found this air raid siren. He turns that sucker on I mean, and it just, you know, it was extremely loud. And it was a genuine air raid siren. And they did play it every time we scored after that. Matter of fact, sometimes just to bug the opponent, they'd play it anyway to the point where uh, the rest would make him stop. Because Iowa Wesley, in that crowded of a play, so he'd be in the end zone occasionally get thrown out of games. He goes, here's what you call your offense. Somebody's going to say it. And I was the first to say air raid. Kentucky, uh, Tim Couch helped to put it on the map. CM Newton brought in Coach Mummy and Mike Leach, walked into his office, introduced myself to him, and the first thing he said to me was two things. You're the starter, and we're going to throw it 50 times a game. Couch picks it up. It's got his man, Craig Yeast, over the middle. Yeast to the corner, and touchdown, Kentucky. The biggest problem hasn't been having enough plays. It's been having too many, not making up your mind on um, what you were going to do and, and um, you know, what was what you were going to hang your hat on offensively. We were really the only team that said, you know what, we're not running it at all. We're, we're going to throw it 50, 60 times. It was an exciting brand of football to watch. So that's credit to Coach Mummy and Coach Leach. They were innovators as far as, you know, college football and spread offenses and, you know, what people are, uh, you know, kind of, uh, you know, adapting to now. Well, as we continue to remember Mike Leach's impact on the game through his origination of the air raid system, we look back also at other notable college football formations. The earliest, the T formation by Walter Camp, and the latest, the, the zone read and tempo by Rich Rodriguez and Lukes. Uh, you can't say the leather helmets. Ha, ha, ha. Uh, but, uh, you know, talk to me a little bit about the specifics, uh, the way the air raid has changed compared to the way uh, you played the game. <laughs> uh, well, uh, I see what I, I did I, there. I can tell you this. Yeah, I see. I see what you did there. Um, you've dated me. The one thing about the air raid, and, and, and if people who aren't all that familiar with it, go Google the term mesh, M-E-S-H, and that was really the core foundation of of the air raid principles. And and it's based upon not attacking coverage. All right, not preparing for are we going to get a zone look or a man look. It's about attacking, attacking areas of the field where a defender is not. 
And so many of these air raid concepts started really with the mesh concept is exactly that. So, you know, the overall progression for the quarterback was to work through, you know, read one, two, three, four, five, whatever it may be in terms of progressions, but it wasn't based off of pre-snap coverage or post-snap coverage. It was about flooding zones and flooding areas of the field with bodies and then letting the movement post-snap decide where you go with the football. And the ball's out quick, it's generally short and underneath, and it's up-tempo, and it's very, very difficult to defend, especially when they enacted it in the late 90s at Kentucky when people weren't accustomed to a lot of tempo and 50 attempts per game. Yeah, Luke, and I think as people have become more accustomed to it, we've continued to see the evolution. Look at what Mike, uh, look at what, excuse me, Lincoln Riley is doing out at USC. Look at what his brother Garrett's doing at TCU. They've incorporated a lot more run aspect into it, but the principles are the same. You run a few plays and you run them really, really well. You look at the run game that TCU and USC both use. It's only a handful of runs. They just run them out of different formations mm-hmm. and they're able to execute them at a really high level. And then in the pass game, a lot of those principles that you talked about, uh, the, the ability to, to break off routes, the ability to find space, a lot of those still apply. But I think the coolest thing about the air raid is that that approach has led to much more what we call balance, but but much more running the football uh, in the offense without losing the core of what the air raid is. Well, if you, if you look across college football right now, I would say there's more offense that have some sort of re- resemblance of an air raid offense than your traditional quote-unquote pro-style system. So everyone's using some sort of aspect of it, but I thought, Roddy, you brought up a good point. It's about the repetition. It's not about, hey, how do I go into a game plan with 18 to 22-year-old kids who have school and other responsibilities in life and give them 90, 100 plays to have to learn in in anticipation of that game on Saturday. No, no, no. Let's make it simple. Let's have 10, 15 plays that we know really well, that we know how to run versus cover two, versus cover four, versus man, versus three, versus certain blitzes, and then go out there and execute it every single week. So they become a master. They made it simple. They play at a very high pace. And uh, it just takes a really smart, good quarterback. And, and for him, he's had some great quarterbacks in the years past. I love what he's done with his quarterback at Mississippi State. And uh, like I said at the beginning, man, it's, it's just so fun to see any game on any given Saturday, majority of the time, it's going to be somewhat of an air raid. Yeah, and, and I, I played in one of those offenses that was about repetitions in a few plays in the option under Paul Johnson. I was amazed at how many of the principles, how many of the thought processes were similar run a few plays that you can run against everything and you run them as many times mm-hmm. that you'll never forget or mess it up because you see everything uh, over the course of a season. Well, you heard Mike Leach say it in that piece, and he said it time and time again. The problem is we have too many plays, not that we don't have enough. Uh, he certainly was not a fan of the complicated, but he was far from simple-minded. Uh, coming up on College Football Live, Scott Satterfield takes over at Cincinnati uh, for one of the best coaches in school history, but it is not the first time he's done that. We'll talk to the newest Bearcat straight ahead. Well, Scott Satterfield didn't have to travel far to take over in Cincinnati, just about 100 miles, separate the Bearcats from Louisville, where he had been the head coach. Satterfield taking over for Luke Fickle as Cincinnati gets set to enter the Big 12 next year. We're happy to have with us Coach Scott Satterfield, who's getting settled in. I can only imagine the last seven, eight days for you, Coach. And 
what's fascinating here is that your former team and I guess your current team set to square off in a bowl game. You really can't script this, but my understanding is you'll sit this one out. Is that correct? That is correct. Yeah, that it's certainly a unique situation, um, one that we're facing right now. And sometimes this time of year, it's 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 not very fun. I don't think when you when you when you're making a move and a change right here in the middle of bowl season, especially when both teams are playing each other. This, this is certainly a unique situation. We've kind of stayed stayed out of the out of the way. We've been recruiting. We're trying to build our staff out, and we're focusing on the future uh, uh, for next year. Well, Coach, I want to talk about that future for next year because you're you're guiding Cincinnati at an interesting time where you're entering the Big 12 next year. How does that change your initial approach as the head coach of the Bearcats? Well, you know, yeah, we're certainly moving from a, another conference to, to the Power 5, headed up to the Big 12. Uh, going to be a lot of you know, unique teams that we're going to be have to play there um, and teams that we haven't played. Like, Cincinnati has not played these teams, so... You know, certainly going to have to recruit at a high level. We've got to continue to bring in the type kind of players that compete at that level. The good news is where Cincinnati sits, just a lot of great high school football right here, right here in our city of Cincinnati and the state of Ohio, some of the best high school football in the country. Um, so we're going to just focus on that area right there and try to bring in some great players that are going to go compete. Coach, I mentioned this, but you, you step in and take over for Luke Fickle, who moved on, the most successful coach in Cincinnati history. But I find it interesting that it's not the first time you've done that. That was also the case, I believe, when you took over at Appalachian. So uh, what can you do? What's your approach when you're coming in for a program that has been successful and you want to put your stamp on it but also continue that same success? Yeah, you're correct. I took over at Appalachian State. Jerry Moore, a legendary Hall of Fame coach, was there 24 seasons which was not a, not, a, not a good act to follow. I can promise you that. Uh, you won a lot of games. and so. But I, but I do think you have to be yourself. Um, you know, I, I couldn't be Jerry Moore. I can't be Luke Fickle. I'm going to have to be Scott Satterfield. I'm going to have to come in and do the things that, that I believe is going to help us get be successful. But, you know, but if we get high-quality young men to come play for us, um, surround ourselves with some great coaches and great staff in this building. Um, and I, as I mentioned earlier, you know, we're, we're right here in a hotbed of talent uh, for high school football. There's some outstanding high school football coaches, you know, right up the street from our stadium here. So we got to tap into that. you got to bring in those kind of players that are used to winning, that love football, and that are going to give you a great chance. And so we're excited about joining this new conference, the Big 12, you know, with some, with some outstanding teams that will be coming here to, to play in our stadium um, in front of our fans. So, so that, but that's what you have to do. You, you can't try to be anything you're not. Um, but just be who you are and surround yourself with great people. Well, Coach, you, you mentioned the type of players that give you a chance to win. One of your former players who did that on a weekly basis was Malik Cunningham. He's now transitioning to the NFL. So I wanted to ask you, as a guy who's worked with him closely, what type of situation bets fits Malik Cunningham at the next level? Yeah, you know, I, I do think this day and age in the NFL with, with the kind of quarterbacks that they're they're playing with now, they, they, they want some quarterbacks that, that can move. That can, that can move the pocket, that can run, that can get out of plays. He also has a, a good enough arm that he can go up there and compete as well. So I think it's a great time right now for Malik to be coming out. That an opportunity, a team that, that likes his style of play, um, the ones that can use the boot action, the nakeds to get him out of the pocket, but also incorporate that running game, a la Lamar Jackson, what he's doing with the Ravens. So I, I certainly think there will be an opportunity that at the next level for somebody to come in and want to come bring him in and groom him that, because he's certainly dynamic. You know, I, I think all the coaches that I've talked to that we played last year in the last couple of years, they're so glad he's gone. They, they, they did not want to defend him because uh, he can't make you pay with his arm, but he certainly can with his legs. 
Well, Coach, we appreciate the time. I, you know, I would say enjoy the time off, but nothing could be farther from the truth, and we certainly understand that. So uh, best of luck getting set up, and we look forward to next season uh, without a doubt. And as you heard Coach say, he'll sit out the bowl game. However, these two teams will play our Capital One Bowl Mania preview, the Wasabi Fenway Bowl. It's Louisville and Cincinnati, one of seven bowls you can catch on the ESPN Family of Networks on Saturday. A new day in Jackson, Mississippi, as T.C. Taylor named the 22nd head coach of Jackson State University, an alumnus of the university, and he was an assistant on the staff, and this is how the players and coaches greeted him yesterday as the big announcement was made. Now, what do the Jackson State Tigers have to look forward to? The Cricket Celebration Bowl this weekend, the back-to-back -back SWAC champions will face off against the MEAC champs, North Carolina Central, Saturday noon on ABC inside the Mercedes-Benz Stadium. And Jay Walker, Tiffany Green here with you. And we will be on the call along with Tiffany Blackman on the sidelines. Well, you think about what's transpired over the last couple of weeks. Deion Sanders and his son Shador to Colorado. T.C. Taylor being named the new head coach. How does Jackson State deal with all these distractions? I would say this. We know from watching Jackson State, no team has handled distractions better than Jackson State. There have been distractions ever since Coach Prime set foot on campus. You know what he brings with him, the media entourage. There's been negative publicity. There's been positive publicity. The one thing that players have always done is been able to block out the noise and take care of their business on the football field. This is a team that's committed and built for this task. It's a tough task at hand, but we've seen Jackson State over and over again block out all the noise. Well, Coach Prime has talked about dominating and finishing strong. They are trying to become the first 13-0 HBCU national champions. And when you look at this Tiger football team, what do they present to teams or opponents on the field? Well, they've got talent. And one thing they've got is the most talented team you'll see out there. They've got star power as well. You talk about the quarterback, Shadur Sanders, candidate for the Player of the Year award. You talk about Aubrey Miller, the defensive player of the year in the SWAT. Oh, and what about Travis Hunter, the nation's number one recruit from a season ago? This team is loaded from top to bottom. They've got some of the best athletes you'll see on this level of football, and they're committed to trying to go undefeated to go down in history in HBCU football. Well, Jackson State has the best defense in all of college football, but they'll go against a well-balanced offensive attack from North Carolina Central champions out of the MEAC. What kind of matchup is this for them? Fantastic matchup. If you think about head coach Trey Oliver, he doesn't need much motivation. The MEAC is 5-1 and one in the Cricket Celebration Bowl, winning five games. The one team to lose was North Carolina Central. They know that, and they've got a quarterback by the name of Davius Richard, who's one of the best players in all of HBCU football. The quarterback out of Florida can throw the ball all over the place. This team is motivated. This team's got a very good defense, which is not to be underestimated. Look for North Carolina Central to give Jackson State all they can handle in the Cricket Celebration Bowl. Both teams searching for their first ever Cricket Celebration Bowl win. We will be there along with Black College Live Friday. That gets underway as we get a chance to recap the season and all that's happened across the HBCU landscape. Wendy, we'll send it back to you. Tiffany J, thank you. And back with me, College Football Insider Pete Thamel with a developing story. Pete, what can you tell us? 
Yeah, Wendy, uh, we, we have some breaking news here. Uh, we just reported a, a few minutes ago on ESPN.com that Zach Arnett will be promoted to be the next coach at Mississippi State. He's obviously going to take the place of Mike Leach, who passed suddenly over the weekend. Arnett's the the longtime defensive coordinator at Mississippi State. He's been there three seasons. Uh, he's been very loyal to the people in Starkville. He's had opportunities to go to places like LSU. Auburn made a push at him this year. And Zach Arnett had stayed loyal to Mike Leach, stayed loyal to Mississippi State. From talking to sources in Starkville today, they really felt like they needed to go move soon on promoting Arnett to head coach. They wanted to give stability in the program. They wanted to support the players who are obviously grieving the loss of Leach. And so Arnett, in the next 24 hours, uh, a four-year contract will be formalized to make him the next head coach at Mississippi State. Well, Pete, you know, it's interesting, obviously not for these reasons, but should Mike Leach have moved on elsewhere? Was this a succession plan that had been in place or has the school just moved quickly and decided this is the right fit going forward? So I think that in Leach's absence some this year, Wendy, when he was battling pneumonia, and then obviously in the last week, uh, Mississippi State officials were blown away by Zach Arnett and the leadership he showed during the most difficult time that a program could go through. Uh, he was obviously the best assistant on staff and the most likely to take over, but I think he really cemented the job within the last week, dealing with the, the worst adversity you could ever imagine in a football program. Uh, Zach Arnett is a, a maestro of the 3-3-5 defense. He's been one of the most respected tactical coaches in the league. He's an aggressive recruiter. State went 8-4 and four this year, and they really want to keep the momentum going, and they see Arnett as the best bridge moving forward. And again, this isn't an interim situation. He's the full-time head coach. He's about to agree to a four-year contract to be the next head coach at Mississippi State. Well, Pete, thank you. And, of course, you're absolutely right. He'll have to wear a lot of hats in the next few days and weeks as this team tries to figure out exactly how to move on after losing their head coach so suddenly. Uh, Pete Thamel, thank you. Uh, coming up, it, of course, is just about time to go bowling. So we're going to line them up. Let's get going. We'll tell you what games we'll be watching as bowl games get underway on Friday. Let it begin. Bowl season begins in the Bahamas Friday on ESPN and the app Miami of Ohio and UAB. Steve Levy back on the call. That game also on ESPN Deportes. You can watch it anywhere, of course, with the app. And then bowl season rolls on Saturday, ABC, noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific on Saturday. Deion Sanders coaching undefeated Jackson State. This will be his final game before heading to Colorado. Uh, you see some games there. And then at 7.30, Eastern SMU and BYU on the New Mexico Bowl. All three of these games on ESPN Deportes and the ESPN app. Finally, we're going to play some football. It's only been, what, a week and a half, and I've missed it, Luke. Uh, what are you watching on Friday? Uh, the Cure Bowl. I, you know, it's the only bowl game we have this season between two conference champions, uh, two, two teams that have just been fantastic offensively. The best part about this is Frank Harris, who's been electrifying on offense for UTSA. Not only does he get to play in a bowl game, but at the completion of the bowl game, he enters into his seventh year, and he can draw from his 401K. <laughs> Another guy who's 
not far from that, Luke's on the other side. It's Carlton Marshall for Troy. Uh, the linebacker has been one of the most underrated players in college football. He's listed at 5'9". I don't know if he's that tall, but he is the all-time leader in FBS history in tackles. Let me say that again. The all-time leader in FBS history in tackles. He's a tackling machine. This Troy defense has been excellent. John Summerall has done a great job. But watch number two. He is, uh, he's a short king, but he is fantastic as a football player. So that's Friday, guys. On Saturday, I mentioned it, but Dion coaching his last game at Jackson State. What kind of reception, Lukes, does he get? I know they're glad he, he was there, but probably equally glad he won't be there. Or, or equally upset he won't be there. Well, of course, especially when he's going to take his quarterback and maybe a few others uh, with him. So <laughs> that's the nature of the business in the transfer portal world. That's it right. Taking my toys. It is. It's fantastic. Yeah, uh, we're going to talk more tomorrow. Uh, we'll see you back here for College Football Live on Thursday.